Hey everyone, great to see you. One of the things that people often ask us, don't they Julie, they say, they ask us, how long does it take you to prepare a teaching on a Sunday morning? And the answer to this one is, this one we've put together in about 37 years. So that's as long as we've been married, but it probably started before we got married, we started thinking and studying scriptures and all those kind of things. And you see, God has this wonderful plan for every family to experience his blessing and his fullness. But we fall short of that. We often, we often don't make it. But um, It's a generational plan it's a, too, it's isn't it? It's a generational it? thing it's as well. It's a generational blessing. Uh, and so what we want to do this morning is just to, to hold up what the scriptures say what, and what's God's plan and purpose. So look, you might have, you might have had a great family upbringing, you might have had a great family, great marriage, all those kind of things, which is, that's terrific. But we want to hold up something that's great. And I thought this picture that's on the screen behind me captured something of it, of what, what, a, what God's vision for family is. Can you see it? Can you see the clue? Can you see the clue? In the very small print down the bottom, you're going to have to squint to get your binoculars out. So... <laughs> Who's the focus of attention around the table? Very good. Wow. How about that? That's the, that's the clue. (laughs) Make Jesus the focus of your family and uh, you're going to keep moving in God's direction. So, all right. We want to take your hand out and and stay on that first page. And I'd like you to read with me the text from Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. Ready to read it out loud? And for those people that are joining us online, we say welcome to you, of course. And uh, the handout will be available on our website. We'll make sure it gets uploaded as a PDF under the under the appropriate link on the website. You'll be able to take it from there. But that'll happen tomorrow. So the people, let's read together. Those of us who got the handout, Romans 12. You can follow along in your Bible if you're viewing online. And so, so dear, dear brothers and sisters, sisters I, I plead with you to give, give your, your bodies to God. God. Because of all he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The thing we want to highlight right here is this process of transformation. That it's actually a lifelong process. It's not an event. It's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process of of having my thinking transformed so that it aligns with the truth about God's character and aligns with his will and his ways. And that is an ongoing process. And we're going to talk more about the fact that the, the, the society that we live in wants to form us, wants, to, wants us to conform to a particular way of being which is separate from God. It's not God's way. And so part of our reality is we have to understand that and we have to go to war against it by continuing to seek out God and to align ourselves with his will and his ways, which is that renewing of your minds, which is that submission to, of our whole selves to Jesus. And there's a statement on your handout about that. We understand Julie? that um, in, in the room there's all kinds of circumstance and, and backgrounds and generational history as well. And some of you are... What would call I would call first generation Christians, and mm. that's tough in the sense of 
You're the first one that God picked out of a generational line mm. to to turn to Himself, and so there's battles to be to be fought and won. And no matter what what's going on in your family, or or whether you think, well, I haven't been brought up in a great family, or I haven't been a great parent, whichever way it goes, God is merciful. Every single day, He's longing. And, and wanting to, to um, give mercy and to restore families and restore families to worship, okay? Um, and there's many things, and hopefully this morning you'll be able to take something away. You may have be aware of half of what we're saying, but there might be one thing that you can take away and go, you know what, we can implement that. And we just want to refresh that vision this morning to all of our hearts it's a high vision that God has for family. It is. And I'm encouraged that the teenagers and the children are actually in the room this morning as well uh, because you can get a hold of this now. Like, is what, this is what you want to grab now before you actually got a marriage and a family. It's like, well, this is where I'm setting my... This is God's vision. Mm. And I'm going to lock in on God's vision as I grow up. Mm. And I, I want to follow his will and I'll his give you ways. Heads up, give you a heads up. Give you a heads if up. If you want children in the future that are going to obey you, Obey your parents, right? Yeah. If you want children in the future going to honor you, honor your parents now, right? It's good. Do it now. Do it now. You will reap what you sow. You will. In your handout, you've got the text from Ephesians chapter 5, and we want to read that together. We're going to read the whole of chapter 5 and the first few verses of chapter 6. And uh, it's in your handout. And... Uh, those of you with the handout, you'll see there's a note that we've actually inserted the words uh, at home uh, into the text in a couple of places, really because that's for the purpose of this morning. We just wanted to really drive home uh, in case you're kind of thinking not connected with the home, basically. That's what we're going to do. So are you ready to read this with me? All right. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do at home. Because you are his dear children. Just stop there for a moment. Really, you could camp out there for a whole generation and go, are we on track with that? How are we doing? Are we imitating God in everything we do at home? Because we are his dearly loved children? Perhaps not. Okay, we've got some work to do. That's okay. Let's do that work. All right. Verse 2. Live a life filled with love at home, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. At home, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk and coarse jokes. These are not for you at home. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord, so live at home as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. At home, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. 
take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live at home. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, at home, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Isn't this a beautiful passage, full of rich wisdom? And I don't know what you experienced as, you were re- as we were reading that together, but I hope that there was things stirring in your heart by the Holy Spirit about where you're at and say, Lord, I want this. I want this. I want this vision, this vision that you have for families. I want it in my family. I want it in my life. And uh, so we want to take a couple of minutes to unpack seven biblical habits that align us with God's vision. And... Uh, we, we want you to know that this is a progressive unfolding in the sense of uh, you, you, don't, you don't get it right. <laughs> it's an ongoing process. It's like this ongoing transformation. And one of the things that we have, we have learned is the, the need to ruthlessly or zealously self-assess. 
my relentlessly mm. self-assessed, my own heart. And one of the things that you, you might have caught in here is this mutual submission to one another and wives, which means that wives are submitting to husbands, husbands are loving their wives as Christ loves their children are obeying their parents, fathers are do, not, not frustrating their kids and causing their anger. And maybe for those of you in the room last week might have heard something of the eternal dance of the Father, Son and the Spirit, the perichoresis, this movement together. So in other words, family, husband, wife and children, there's meant to be part of this mystery of the oneness between husband and wife is part of the mystery of Christ and the church. But family is meant to have this, this dance of unity and moving seamlessly. And um, one of the things that we've worked on is how to dance together. Now, we're not talking physical dancing. We're not very good at that at all. We've not done any work on that. So don't, <laughs> don't be looking for us to give you those kind of dancing lessons. But in terms of how we move together as husband and wife in, in unity and complementary giftings and these kinds of things of who are you and who am I and how do we do this together uh, in, this, in this glorious dance. So we have learned a lot of things about that. And um, so here we go. We've just got these seven things uh, that align us, these seven habits. So mutual sub submission that honours Christ. And the important thing here is it's, it's to honour Christ. It's a submission that honours him. As a, as a first and primary thing. And that's an overarching statement that Paul's put. And then he begins to break that down, what that looks like. So then he's got some comments for wives, then some comments for husbands, and then comments for children, and then comments for fathers. So that, but they all are like subheadings under that big heading of mutual submission to one another that honors Christ. And so that's the big picture you want to keep in your minds as we go through these things. So, wives submitted to their husbands as to the Lord. I don't know if do you want to make a comment on that, Julie. Would you like to say something <laughs> about wives submitted to their husbands? Is what that does what that look like? What, what would you say? Like? How do you, would you like to explain to the wives? <laughs> Let's see what that looks like. Let's see what that means. Okay. Well, that means that even though I may think I've got the goods on something, I probably don't. And I need to honor my husband as if it's God's perspective, right? So when he maybe has an opinion on something or says, we're going to do this, I have to be really careful sometimes because I want to say, are you serious? That's not a helpful response, ladies, just in case you're wondering. But to have a conversation, to understand and to learn actually that his perspective and my perspective are different, which doesn't mean that he's wrong and I'm right or that I'm wrong and he's right. Yep. Do you understand? God has actually put us together to function in a way that reveals more perfectly who he is together rather than apart yeah that's what i think it means yeah. brilliant brilliant answer <laughs> couldn't 
We couldn't didn't, have said we it didn't better. Practice couldn't that have one. said it better myself. Oh. <laughs> so, right. So that's her bit. Her responsibility to do. It's not my responsibility to remind her to do that. But you have, haven't you? Occasionally it slips out. That was like more years ago, not recent history. All right. My responsibility is to love my wife the way that Jesus loves his bride. And work out what that means. And work out in all the different situations and complexity. And when when she's disagreeing with me about something, what does it mean to love her like Jesus loves his bride? And Wayne, you have grown as a husband. Thank you. As a husband and a father in in authentic, real, strong love. I just want to say that. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, I'm not the same man you married. I am the same man. Anyway, but um, so we're we're holding up this big picture for husbands. And now, in the time that Paul is writing, this is cutting right across the culture. Uh, Just very quickly, um, many many, uh, Jews at that time were, were not treating their wives very well. Uh, we're divorcing them if they burnt the toast. Uh, literally, that, that kind of thing. It was like, I've had your divorce, you're done. Like, that's it, you're over and done with. Uh, the Greeks and the Romans, uh, they had a wife, but they had prostitutes, they had concubines, they had all these other women on the side that were. So they didn't value their wife very highly as well, except for the purpose of bearing legitimate heirs. That was, that was the wife's job. Um, so, it, that's, so when Paul is writing to people who have newly come to faith in Christ and they're working this out, remember this is built on the foundation of chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians and that's important to understand where he's unpacked all that God has done in Christ. Uh, so he's holding this up, he's holding up this beautiful representation, a husband saying, this, now that you're in Christ, this is what you're called to as men. This is the higher vision. This is the higher vision. Um, so husbands loving their wives, husbands and wives gloriously representing the mystery of Christ and the church, learning to practice that. And then we'll move quickly through this and say, children obeying and honouring their parents. This is a key thing. I want, to say, I want to say to all the teenagers, those of you that live at home, those are the children, you work out if this applies to you. What if for the next seven days, I want you to try and experiment for the next seven days, when your mum or your dad asks you to do something, instead of saying nothing, do I have ignoring to? it, why do I have to, or just whining and moaning and carrying on, I, look, I'm, I know I'm typecasting here, stereotyping, but just assuming that there might be one or two of you in the room that fits this. Why don't you commit for the next seven days to just say, yeah, yes, and do it, willingly and joyfully. Yes, make your bed. Yes, do the dishes. Yes, put the washing away. Yes. Whatever it might be, just just try it for seven days. See what it does in the, in your home. See what it does in your heart. 
See what it does in your mum and dad's hearts as well. So we might even be prepared to to reward the children Ooh, of such parents. We could do that. Yes, there could be rewards. If we get reports, yes. Uh, uh, rewards do motivate. That's a godly thing. Mm. God is a rewarder of those, those who, who diligently seek Him. Yes. All right. Yep. So, parents, him. we want to hear how it's going. All right. Uh, we want yep. to hear how that seven-day trial is going. Mm. Yeah. Out of reverence for Jesus. Out of reverence for Jesus. Okay. Mm. Okay. So we've gone. Submit to one another. That honors Christ. Wives, husbands, children. Now we're going to speak specifically to fathers. This is the habit. Fathers not provoking their children to anger by the way they treat them. That's a really good plan, dads. It's a really good plan. And it takes, it takes skill and it takes grace and it takes patience. So, and, uh, it I'm not going to. It takes forgiveness forgiveness repentance and forgiveness and restoration. Takes humility. And I'll just say straight up, I blew it lots of times. Um, and with the help and understanding my wife and coaching in humility and being and going and saying to my sons, I blew it, I'm sorry. I didn't just provoke you to anger. I was angry as well. Provoked both of us to anger. It was not a, not a happy situation. But rather, so it's this thing of like, okay, so how, you have to think, well, how am I going to do this? You know, because sometimes it becomes it becomes a power play, and it doesn't need to be a power play. We want to learn to be fathers because we actually the goal here is I want to carry the heart of the father towards his children. I want them to see the father in me. I want them. I want to nurture my children as he nurtures them, and it's a recognition. I'm a million miles away from that. But I come and say in humility to the Father, Father, put your heart in me. Give me the heart of the Father. Let me experience your heart as a father so that I can father my children or my child as you father me. So I can be a father like you. So what you can see in here, all the way through this, Paul is bringing us back to the scriptures all the time. He's bringing us back to the knowledge of God, knowing the heart of God, the character of God, the character of Jesus, and, how, and working these things out in our family context. Wayne, just a comment about risk and self-preservation here. Because as, as fathers, you know, you can, you can fa you know, you'll fail in this. Let's just... That's to say you will. You will fail in mm. this. But there is, with God there is mercy. With God there is forgiveness. But it's a prideful response to become passive and to give up trying. Yes. To yeah. give over to, mm. well, I'm not perfect and the yes. inadequacy. I'm That's a prideful yeah. response. God doesn't do anything with that. But the humble response, yes, is restoration, seek forgiveness, cry out to God in desperation, right? And there's, that's the walk of faith. Just going back to Habakkuk, remember that the righteous, my righteous one will live by faith. Mm. Faith means risking. The, the, mm. the, the parable of the talents, there was a risk involved for each of those ones who took their share 
and then they invested it. The one who was condemned, the one who had his talent taken off him was the one who said, oh, I knew you were, you know, like a scary master, so I just hid it. I buried it in the ground. That's called self-preservation, and God does not honor that. He honors when you step out and you risk again, you go again, knowing you may fail again. But in that process, the transformation is taking place. Mm. So men, Mm. step out of passivity. Step out of the fear of failure. Step out of the fear of your inadequacies being pointed out, whether it's by your wife or someone else. That's why God's given you someone to say that to. Kindly, ladies. Right? That's why. And go again. That's the humble response. That's the one that God adds grace to. Yeah. And then point seventh habit is that fathers bringing their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, which is the pursuit of the knowledge of God. It's bringing your children up in this. And one of the things that... um, men often do is they feel inadequate about this they feel like the wife is the more spiritual one sometimes so they delegate this really to the wife now the wife has a very important role to play in that it isn't but as a father it's your responsibility to to raise your children in the knowledge of God so they'll know him in the discipline of how does God discipline? How does he form and shape character? Pursuing this, this is our responsibility as men, as husbands and as fathers. And it's part of this um, accepting responsibility for it and rejecting passivity and going, well, I'm terrible at it. My wife's much better at it, so I'll give it to her to do. No, 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 no. Like, yeah, Celebrate the fact that you, you're paired with a godly woman who's, who's got competence in this, but don't abdicate, pursue. So I've got to grow in this. That's the thing. I've got to grow and learn to do this better. All right. So we're going to, just to summarize and say, talk about the fact that, all right, within this family context, you can see that everyone in the family has, has this beautiful thing of as a mutual responsibility of submission to one another and honour. So we've all got the responsibility, a responsibility. So children, what's your responsibility? Obey parents in the Lord, none of them in everything. Yeah, okay. Work on that tonight. Yeah, work on that tonight. Like, oh, okay, better read the book a bit more. Uh, all right. So children have got a responsibility. Husbands have got a responsibility. Wives have got a responsibility. Dads have got a responsibility and it's all together. It's all to work together in this beautiful way uh, and it's not normal. So if you're going, we're not very good at this, it's like hallelujah, just like that's, that's yeah, it's not normal. And, and we, we want to walk, talk more about the currents of our society. Yeah, so there are competing currents in our society um, and... I just want to say that we are swimming in, we are surrounded by loud voices 
are speaking to us from a humanistic, scientific, rationalistic worldview. Would you agree with that? Yes. Okay. And, um, and, and actually saying to us, well, actually the highest wisdom goes like this. And it may or may not be God's wisdom. It may or may not be. And this voice is competing for absolute credibility and absolute conformity. Because this is the enlightened or the higher way. So this is, this is, this is a very, very important issue for us. And the question we want to put to you this morning is, does the way you live... Now, understanding that the way you live is a product of your thoughts, your beliefs, and then it's your behaviors, which is what's, what's visible, okay? Does the way you live, is it conforming, is it aligning with Jesus' worldview? Could you even articulate what Jesus' worldview is? To be able to do that, you have to study the life and the teachings of Jesus. And again, using that word ruthlessly or relentlessly, and it's a journey, making sure that everything actually is lining up with that. It requires us, okay, living from Jesus' worldview, requires us to know what that is. Now, I've deliberately said Jesus' worldview, not biblical worldview, because the biblical worldview also has particular cultural aspects connected to it that are not necessary. Well, they're not connected in terms of the culture that we live in. Yeah. But Jesus' worldview transcends all of that. Okay? Yeah. So Jesus' worldview requires us to know what that is and to confront any false dichotomy or any false separation between the visible realm, the humanistic, scientific, rationalistic, you could use a lot of other words in there, but the visible realm, what's visible, what is fact. If you jump off a building, you sure are going to land at the bottom and it's not going to be pretty. The law of gravity. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Nothing wrong with that. That is actually what will happen. Don't try it. Okay. That will happen. But we have to be able to discern between the visible realm and the invisible realm. We have to have a paradigm that embraces the invisible realm. Now, when I say the invisible realm, what am I talking about? The spiritual realm, yes, specifically. Powers and principalities are there. Angels and demons, yes, you got it. The invisible realm, okay. The default drift in Western society is to prioritize, to value, and to exalt the visible or the invisible? Visible. Okay, that's the default position. But Jesus functioned in a way, Jesus' worldview, that assumed that the existence of an invisible spirit realm, that is angels, demons, and Satan, is constantly and dynamically interacting at all times with the visible realm. Got it? Okay. This realm was just as real to him, perhaps at more times it was more real, than the physical. Okay? 
So it's important to understand this. It's important as individuals and families. If you're wanting to see the fullness of God's purposes realized, we must be able to submit our thoughts, our beliefs, our attitudes, and our behaviors, which is our worldview, to the Holy Spirit's scrutiny, to the scrutiny of the scriptures. And we have to ask ourselves, does it match? Does it hold up? Does it align? Is it worthy of Jesus? Is it worthy of God? Most of you in this room would say he is the ultimate supreme authority over heaven and earth who formed the world with the breath of his mouth, who holds all things together by the word of his power, who sets limits on the seashore, who created the sun, whoa, what a ball of fire and power that is. Are you getting what I'm saying? We would say that, and yet I think that we've been caught in this drift. Do you hear what I'm saying? The currents of culture. The currents of culture. So what we see, and we've been discussing this a lot this week, is an increasing trust and dependence on what is seen, what is expert knowledge, what is wisdom that offers this superior hope, the belief that technology and science can be trusted to solve our greatest problems, whether that's individual or global. Do you hear me? Along with that, faith in the invisible God who created Heaven and earth is increasingly mocked, diminished, and trivialized. Amen? That's what's happening. That's what's happening. Kingdom people will make whatever adjustments are necessary to align their thoughts, attitudes, behaviors, decisions, whatever you want to call it, with Jesus' worldview. The question is, are you doing that? Is that... It, is it... Actually, what is it matching up with what you say you believe? Because if it doesn't, there's going to be an instability in your home. It's going to feel like this because we're saying one thing, but actually, when we look at what we're doing, it's more like, oh, maybe it's our fear governing that decision, or maybe it's expert knowledge that's governing that decision or maybe now that is not to say that expert knowledge doesn't have a place it does when God gave us dominion right over the earth he gave an intellect he gave the ability to make decisions right to grow in knowledge and understanding of things and there's a lot of growth in that there's been a lot of growth in that right we're in the most evolved society ever but it's when we begin to exalt that, when we begin to look to that rather than turn first to God, to seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these other things will come into line and be added to us. That's, that's the issue. And we, we just wanted to share really briefly, and we've really run out of time, Wayne, but... Um, okay. 
you know, that, that God's had us on a journey. We wanted to share that journey a little bit this morning. Um, yeah. Sorry. And, yeah, so go quickly. Katanning, many moons sorry. ago, after we were married a couple of years. Sorry. Okay, so let me just, before I go, go there, just to say, so the, the realm of the, the visible and the invisible and how those interact. And there was, there was an, an, we, had, we had some kind of awareness of this because we read the scriptures and we see it. Uh, but I think... Um, uh, you mean Jesus healing the sick and yeah, casting Jesus out healing demons the sick and, and calming how the storm. Is it Paul's, yeah. Paul's letters, he's, he's writing about these realities. But had not really a grid of understanding of, of how this worked in our own lives and how this was at work in the world in which we lived in here in, in Australia. Um, and uh, so... As God often does, he trained us through allowing us to experience weakness so we would seek him. It's one of God's wonderful growth strategies. He allows us to experience weakness. We come up against something and we're weak. We don't know what to do. So that we're, and what we'll either do is give up and go, this is too hard, or we'll press into God and we'll pursue him. So we were pressing in and we were pursuing God. So we were pastoring down in Katanning. I was mobilizing and equipping the church to move out of a passive mode into a disciple-making mode. And as that was unfolding and we were gaining traction and there was new people coming to Christ, there was something that began to happen in me physiologically. I wasn't really, wasn't really sure what, why or what was happening, but I began to experience an unusual amount of fatigue, discouragement, uh, now I would use the word oppression, spiritual oppression. Uh, I also experienced lies and accusations from people within the church. Um, and, and that really surprised me as well. So overall feeling of discouragement and defeat. And in that process is calling on God for answers. And uh, also, you know, getting checked out by doctors and all those kind of things. But one of the books that came soon after that time was a book by a man called Charles Craft, and it was a book called Christianity with Power. And it was a whole, in this book, he was unpacking how your worldview uh, as a Christian will determine how you interpret and experience what God wants to do. And that book became really a pivotal book in terms of opening up my understanding of, of wow, okay, so part of what I've got going on is there's actually demons opposing me trying to help the church become all that God meant it to be. It's like, you know, I kind of knew that theoretically, but now I'm experiencing it in, in ways. And how it would manifest, it was, and we began to notice a pattern because we were making regular trips to Perth at that time as part of my studies as well. And we would reach kind of the, if you like, the town limits and the depression would lift, and I'd suddenly have energy, vitality. We'd come to Perth, we'd have a great time up in Perth. We'd be driving back, we'd kind of reach this same point, and bang, just like it's the it same, all... The all same bend like, in oh, the road. The like, same bend you know, So after that happens a few times, you either try a different road, <laughs> or you go, hmm... God, what's going on here? Why is this? So this is all part of the journey. So that's, I'll leave that there. So that was part of the, part of the process of God breaking open 
my understanding, our understanding of this interaction between the visible and the invisible world. That's right. And when God is doing this, it, it will be multi-layered. He'll yeah. be popping up everywhere. He'll be introducing you to something over here and challenging you about something over there and then giving you experiences. And, and he's, he's training. Mm. He's trying to push you yeah. forward into an area that, quite frankly, you'd probably rather not go into. And once this area, you know, over a number mm. of years was fully opened, I, I remember the day thinking to myself, God, I don't want to live in a spiritual battle for the rest of my life. I just really don't want to. I just don't want to. And having to put that before the Lord. Mm. That was not a small thing. I really didn't want to. <laughs> mm. I would rather yeah. live a nice, quiet, peaceful existence as much as it was possible rather than knowing that to go forward meant this. And so I had to lay down my right to self-preservation and pick up the same cross that Jesus picked up and be willing to go forward into this, knowing that he was leading, he was out in front. One, look, I just want to give you, um, yeah, it wasn't easy, and we've been remembering some of these battles. And although we haven't shared heaps and heaps with, with you, we've had battles, and we've had battles personally, we've had battles in, in terms of our family and individual battles with each of our sons and areas that we know that enemy's been assaulting them and, yep. you know, all this sort of stuff. And it's just been one step at a time. Believing. Knowing, this is faith, mm. right? We live by faith. We are not of those who shrink back. When it looks like it's going to be tougher to walk that way than to stay where you are, that's when your faith kicks in. Hmm. That's when you are out on a limb. Yep. And that's where God then can release his power. Hmm. And if we choose the safe ground every single time, then safe you shall be. Away. And fearful and weak too. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, and all that that means, if choosing safety means going against where God has opened up for you to tread. You don't want to do that, mm. okay? So he's taking us forward because we're not a fearful people, are mm. we? We're not supposed to be fearful. And if circumstances around me are pressing all my fear buttons, I'm going to respond in a certain way, and it's probably not faith that's going to come from my lips. Okay, so here we are. I'll just give you one example just, of this. Yeah, before we go into that example. So the thing that we, one of the things we learned is worth saying is that when there were times when it may have looked like demonic powers and principalities were winning, yeah. we learned to ask ourselves the higher question, God, what are you wanting to show us about you? What, a, what strategy are you wanting to give us that is already in Christ to overcome and exercise the defeat that you won on the cross? And that's a risk. Yeah, that's a risk. That's a risk. Mm. 
Because what you're risking is that God may not do it in a way that you would appreciate. (laughs) Right? And yet he is all wise Mm. and all powerful. And he says, you walk this way. You walk this way and there'll be no shame covering your face. Mm. Come into the shelter of the Almighty. Come into that place of refuge. Walk that way. It looks scary, but I am with you in the fire. Mm. Don't shrink back. Risk. That's what faith is. Mm. My righteous one will live by faith. How do you think we are going to survive the coming days? Because we've learned to live by faith. Okay? We have to learn it. So what situation in your life right now is God using to train you in this very principle? And are you shrinking back or are you stepping into the risk void? Right? Okay, so we had this situation. Um, this is just one example because it shows the importance of, of, as parents, being willing to deal with your rubbish. <laughs> and if it makes you feel better, some of it is generational. But nevertheless, that generational stuff that gets its hooks into us, if we're not wise and careful, we will cooperate with it and we will repeat the same patterns and then our children inherit them as well. Okay? Yeah. So you've got to be willing, got to be willing to deal with any personal or generational patterns of sin and you've got to be willing to use that gained place of authority to protect, to train and to teach your own children yep. to walk in God's freedom and blessing. And then guess what? As they grow... And they have families. Guess what they're going to do? The same thing. Because it's not a one size fits all. Right? Every generation has to learn to fight. We're freedom fighters. Every generation. But I tell you what. Mm. If you've been born into a family of freedom fighters, the chances of you fighting for freedom are much higher. Mm. Yes? Mm. So come on. Step into this. Not long after we planted New Life Church in 1997, I started to experience some unusual symptoms all around the region of my head. I'm not going to go into lots of detail. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you. It was intermittent, but because of some previous history, I went to the doctor and I was sent for the usual tests and scans just to, to, just to show that there was nothing abnormal going on in my brain. So everything um, intensified, though, uh, when I began to experience... They all came back normal, I think. They all came back normal. Did I say that? Yeah. There's nothing wrong. She has a brain. It was working. It's all all good. Oh, phew. And, uh, but things continued Uh, and also added to that, I I began to have, and it wasn't very many by the time, you know, I I realised what was going on. This, I would call it just a terrifying episode, episode where... Um, unexpectedly, with no warning, not connected to anything at all, I would experience... Um, it would, I said to Wayne, it, felt, it feels like my life is ebbing away mm. in a moment. Yep. Yep. Like the very life is just pulsating, you know, like the, the blood. You know, if you had, had a serious injury and your blood... And I was, my life was ebbing away. And I, I remember this one morning and I'd just woken up and, um, and we were both in bed... And I rolled, I kind of got, and this thing came, it began to happen. And just the terror 
and this sensation and I was hanging on to the I was on the floor I was on the floor actually and I was hanging on to the quilt and I said Wayne you've got to rebuke death and I was desperate and he was shocked you know mm-hmm. and but he did and very quickly it lifted and it happened at least twice like that and then it happened in some other situations when I was by myself very strange and terrifying and I knew this was not of God okay for obvious reasons and um, anyway there's more to the story but it became very clear to me and God was working again in all kinds you know all different ways and this information coming and, and, and had been guiding us down this track and I knew I needed deliverance from a spirit of death I became convinced of that um, and the Lord um, you know I, I made that choice Lord I've got it I've got to I need someone to help me with this and he made a way for it and I was delivered from that and it was a generational spirit of death and my, my younger brother had died tragically when he was 12 months old and at the same and and when that happened a, a, a fear of death and a fear of pain and a fear of suffering had entered me as a child as a three-year-old and I saw those words in the prayer ministry like God dancing across in front of me and I saw his empty cot And God connected my heart to the trauma of that incident, which was incredibly traumatic for my family because he was killed by an overdose when he was 12 months old. A a medical mistake. It was just a medical mistake. And um, there was deliverance for me. Hmm. Praise God. Total deliverance. About 18 months after this, we received a phone call from the school that our boys attended. And Daniel had been playing football, as boys do, and had been knocked unconscious. And he was taken by ambulance uh, to PMH. Um, Thing is, it was the third time in a short space of time that he'd been Mm. hit in the head. Mm. But this was by far the worst. And Wayne and I leapt into our car and... By God's will and grace, we ended up entering the freeway at the same time as the ambulance coming from the school in the opposite direction. Isn't that amazing? And we were behind the ambulance all the way into PMH, praying, praying, praying. Daniel was unconscious from the get-go. So by the time we arrived, he'd been unconscious probably for at least 40 minutes. So we, we went in there. They wheeled him in, doctors examined him, he's unconscious, consulted together as to what to do because they weren't sure what to do. And they finally decided um, that they would send him for a scan and they left the cubicle. So Wayne and I were the only ones with him by this stage and um, I'm not good in hospitals, neither is Wayne, (laughs) actually, which is not that great. And I had been sitting on the floor praying but just trying to not pass out, actually, um, and, and when they left, I got up and we were the only ones there and we continued praying out loud and we'd just begun and just, I guess it was a, a, a unction from the Holy Spirit and I lifted my voice and I commanded death to get off him and he sat straight up, vomited, <laughs> straight up. I, that is not an exaggeration. You would tell yeah, me was, if I was, was exaggerating. Was it was absolutely fun. immediate. Hmm. And they came rushing back in 
And that day, I know that the Lord delivered mm. Daniel from the spirit of death. I know. Yes. We know yep. that happened. Mm. It was very dramatic. <laughs> and, but I thought, you know, thinking about this this week, if, you know, if I had not experienced breakthrough myself Self. in yep. that, mm. would I have had the authority to rebuke that in that moment mm. over my son's life? Only God knows. Only God knows. Just to, to add into that. So there'd been this progression of like three incidences where things had happened and Daniel ended up being dropped on his head in school. Um, <laughs> sort and, of. And so not good. Not good. <laughs> right. After this episode, uh, and they did scans and there was no damage and all those kind of things. And he had a peaceful night in the hospital and Julie slept in the lovely recliner yeah. next to the bed. And... Um, yeah. Uh, there was been no further incidences of any kind of, of head any, injury. Of any kind of head injury. Head injuries, multiple head injuries. Uh, I'm mm. telling you, mm. there's that you need to pray about that if yeah. that's in your children's life. Should so we here we go. Jump on we're to not, this yes. next. Let's just, we're going to wrap up as quickly as we can. Thank you very much for your patience. So here we go. Some of you might be feeling like this at the moment. So there's different stages of competency. So we have the, that slide brought up. Thank you very much, slide team. Okay. So today you, came, you might have come in here and you were unconsciously incompetent. In other words, you've heard things today that you didn't even realize you'd needed to be competent in. And so that's, that's what you came in. But now, as you've been listening to us talking, you now moved into consciously incompetent. You're going, oh my goodness, there's a whole lot of, there's a truckload of stuff I know I don't know now. So you've moved one stage. We want to say to you, don't give up. Keep going forward. Because the next stage is like, go on the journey. It's like, God, teach me. God, train me. Show me. Help me. You know, put me in places. And so that listen, I'll, become... I'll tell you what, I have to say this. If you are like, I don't think like that, I think, I think primarily in that scientific realm and mm. I respond in that way and you're going, wow, perhaps I need a bit more balance here because for Jesus it was balanced as well. We're mm. not advocating only this way or only yeah, that no, way. No. That looks weird, yeah. okay? God is holistic. It's, it's He's created this, earth, this earthly mm. physical realm. He's in it. But there is also an invisible realm. Mm. And we need wisdom and discernment at all times as we raise our children and, in fact, just do life. I just want to say this morning, and this is, um, this is, this is very, very important. There may be a stronghold that the Lord is wanting to set you free from. In other words, if you're like, I just don't think like that. I don't even have any faith that God could heal or that in a situation of crisis that he could be trusted. I don't know, whatever. That what is the reason? What holds you back from confident hope and faith? Perhaps it is something that happened in your family, as it happened in mine. On the other hand, my parents brought me up to have faith in God. And when that incident happened in my childhood and my brother died... I never heard my parents speak a negative word. Could that be the testimony of your children? That they never spoke a negative word against God? That they did not run down that doctor? In fact, my parents went and counseled him and comforted him. 
It was a remote village. Could you do that? What are you teaching your children? What has been taught to you? And if there's a stronghold that has got you, then ask the Lord to show what it is. Because just in that same way, you know, a disappointment can build up a barrier to believe that God can do whatever he wants to do. Ask the Holy Spirit. Just ask him right now, Holy Spirit, show me, because I don't want to pass this on to my children. Mm. I want them to have faith in you in every circumstance. I want worship to be my default Mm. in crisis. Is he working on that with you right now? Don't give up and don't give over to the pull. God deserves the glory. He deserves the praise. He is the powerful one. His promises are true. His love for us reaches to the heavens. His faithfulness to the skies. Do you believe it? Do you know him as your rock of ages? Do you know him? Or are you just dabbling on the edges? God gives grace to the humble. But he will oppose our pride. The pride of man. The pride of humanistic wisdom he will oppose that in our lives so we want balanced lives acknowledging what's in the visible acknowledging what's in the invisible and all things working together to the honor and glory and praise of jesus Mm. wisdom and revelation Mm. so we want to just finish there If you want prayer this morning for that, maybe that just became, that was just highlighted to you, God, I think I do have a stronghold of unbelief. Just come to the front right now. We have need of repentance. New life, we have need of having our minds renewed. Mm. Let's stand, everybody. Our thoughts and behaviors, Mm. the way we live, what we're passing on to our children, What we're passing on to our friends, the way we open our mouths and speak, does it align with who Jesus is and the biblical wisdom and instruction? Remember, we started started this morning and we said we want to look at God's vision for families. To know and pursue his wonderful blessings from generation to generation God is not the one who has to move it's we who have to move we have to turn we have to repent we have to acknowledge our pride of self our self preservation our conflict avoidance our desire for a happy peaceful life Jesus calls us to take up our cross. He's longing to bless the families who will give themselves wholeheartedly, not just in some areas, but who are willing to be discipled by him in every area. 
who have a vision for their family giving honor and glory to Jesus. Come, Lord.